This is To The Point. A rhino experience. Voted one of the top home services marketing and operations podcasts. Cutting through the bullshit and getting to the point. I'm excited to be asked back again, so I must not have been too bad last year, so that worked out pretty good. Um, but I did ask for a little bit of help this year, and it was, could I select the panelists? So I get to interview a lot of business owners throughout the entire year of all shapes and sizes. So I feel like I got a pretty good gauge on who I think is movers and shakers in the industry. So Ken and I were talking about uh, a potential topic for this panel, um, gosh, maybe three months ago or so. And we felt like, if you guys haven't watched the news lately, the news really, really likes you to think that there's this massive downturn in the economy coming. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But it certainly is a topic that comes up often. I've had lots of conversations around it. So we thought this might be a great panel to have. And so I have some questions I'm going to ask these guys uh, before I bring them up. But I also want to encourage you, if you have a question, we are going to have a mic to pass around. So I will save a little bit of Q&A at the end, depending upon how long Ken talks, if I ask him a question. Um, that will be the uh, indicator on how many questions we can actually get to. But So this is how to win the game in a down economy or recession. The reality is, is that even if it doesn't come or if it's smaller than we think it might be, it's still going to be tactics that are going to make your business better. Are we all good with that? All right, cool. So I'm going to bring up our first panelist, CEO of Gettle, Mr. Ken Goodrich. Come on up. Hey, this year, don't take my water. Last year, you took my water. I'm taking your water. So we put you on the end this time, keep you out of trouble. Next up, we have our CEO of Service Champions, Mr. Frank DeMarco. Frank, come on up from the West Coast. So you can take hey, my so water? far, so good. Yeah, he can That's take right. your water now. Wait, who's next? Brian. My friend Brian. So Brian Sloan's from out of Chicago, T.R. Miller, CEO. Bring him up. My friend Chad Peterman from Peterman Brothers out of Indianapolis. Come on up, buddy. <clears throat> so real quick before I hop into any of these questions, I want to just uh, tell you why I picked these guys for this panel. Um, I wanted a little bit of diversity in this panel. We have some beasts. So I don't know if anybody got to hear the podcast I did yesterday with these two, and it was a clash of the titans. Um, but it actually was them being very sweet to one another, so that was real entertaining and cute. Ken Goodrich was being so sweet to Frank. That was the first question I asked him. Was I said, hey, Ken, what does Frank, what does Frank or Service Champions do better than you? <laughs> and it worked out really, really well. So you have to listen to that podcast. But obviously, two massive players in the industry have made a, Ken was known for taking these businesses and fixing them and, uh, and growing them and scaling them. Been in the ringer a long time, both these guys. I'm super close with all these guys. I know all their stories. I know their business ventures. I know a lot of the things. So Brian uh, is in Chicago and has had some exponential growth over the last few years. Done a lot of things right, but still learning, right? Still smaller business. Can I say how big of a company you are? Yeah, definitely. Okay, so I think he's right around the 25 million mark or somewhere in there? Yep, yeah, so 2017 we were about two and a half million, and then this year we're pacing for 35 million um, is where our goal That is. sounds way better than 25. Yeah. So sorry for messing that up. Oh yeah, yeah. So you, you forgot 10 million. Yeah, yeah, sorry about that. Yeah. Um, but different perspective, right? Kind of been through some things from a different perspective, different look. And then my friend Chad Peterman down here, if you don't know who he is, I'm sure uh, his company, Peterman Brothers, is, I mean, blew up the last few years as well. Where are you getting up at? 
Uh, finished right around 90 million last year. Got it. Yeah. So just a couple. You're, you fell short of 100, so. I know. You should be yeah. disappointed in yourself. Uh, anyhow, I wanted to have some different perspectives, right, of different size companies, and, uh, and this was a great panel to have it. And because I understand um, a lot about these guys and kind of their thought process, I thought this is really good stuff that's valid. There's a lot of influence that's out there in uh, social space in general, and I always get concerned on what, it, what are you being influenced with and is it right and is it legit accurate. So I trust these guys, and they've got the, cred the credentials to do it. So we're going to hop right in. And the very first question is, is, I mean, this whole thing is how to win the game in the down economy. So first question to you guys is, who thinks there's actually really a market correction coming? Is, this, is there actually going to be a recession? Is this a thing that's really going to happen, or is this just media? I, th <clears throat> I think it's the media. I, I would say you can't be naive to think that there's you know, clearly there's things going on. The Fed's dealing with the rate, the macro environment's uneasy. You know, for us, as we try to acquire businesses, the money's more expensive. Um, and so you feel that pressure. I think from a consumer standpoint, we haven't necessarily felt that in any of our businesses in different parts of the country. Um, but we keep our eye on it. I mean, it's not something that we just say, it's never gonna happen. I just. You know, I'm, I'm picking on the media, but it's like every day you get up and for the last six months, it's gonna be, there's a pending recession. Maybe some of the markets I travel to, I don't see it, but I can't get a dinner reservation. The hotels are all jammed. You know, I mean, people are still spending money and we haven't seen, uh, I think we've had more of a headwind in terms of just what's going on with climates than we've had of anything. So uh, we're prepared for it if it happens. We view it as an opportunity, but I'm hopeful for everybody that we don't have to actually deal with it. I think we're, we're can you hear me? I think uh, where we're already seeing it though is the financing approval rates. And I think that's a leading indicator for what we do. So you keep, you know, you really got to track that metric and make sure you understand it. Uh, I had another experience back in 2011. So, you know, we went through the great recession, eight, nine and 10 and then 11 you know, we thought we were heading the right way, but the financing approval rates dropped significantly, um, almost 20%, and that hurts, which requires you to take some different kind of sort of action, I guess we'll get to uh, in the later questions, but that's where I'm seeing it currently. So, you know, there's obviously, there's some things going on, there's gonna be some pressure on our type of business now through that, anybody who is dependent on using financing for their business. Has anybody else seen that? The approval rates? Yeah, I think um, what we're seeing for our approval rates is um, we've seen it dip about five to 10 points of approval rates. I think we were tracking the, around 94%, and we've seen it slip down to like 85%. So that's something we're that's keeping big, our eye that's on. That's a big number. Yeah, definitely. Um, another thing on that is um, every March we do like a 401k continuing education. So we bring for our whole entire company, for the, we bring in financial consultants, and they kind of do like a one hour like presentation of what's going on in the marketplace. And so they really dove into some of the reporting. And so I think, you know, one common thing we've heard the last couple of days is that, you know, there's for every one, per, or was it for every one person, there's two job openings. So there's still a demand for job openings. But there's also this GDP conversation where, um, I forget the graph he was showing me, but essentially like the gross domestic product of the US of what we're producing is right on track for what the consumption is. 
Um, so we're, we're still not specifically keeping up with GDP. We're not producing enough material still to keep up with consumption. So um, they were tracking some of that reporting as well. So from a data standpoint, it, it doesn't look like there's a recession, at least what we're seeing. I mean, money's tightening up in the home, right? So financial rates, um, commercial lending rates are increasing. The Fed's kind of doing what they want to do by slowing down purchasing, but all the, you know, objectively, that's what we're seeing. Yeah, I think from my perspective, or, you know, just like these guys said, it's you've got to keep an eye on things, obviously. Um, you can't be naive to the fact, but I think that on the reverse is you can't be afraid of it. Um, it's going to happen. It's not going to happen. We don't know, but to me, the way that you safeguard yourself is that as I tell my team, we are not participating in any sort of recession. Um, we just won't. And so what do we need to do inside our business to keep growing? Um, it's not, you know, hunker down in a hole and hope that it passes by. It's how do we continue to improve what we do on a daily basis? At the end of the day, we're not closing 100% of our calls right now. We're not at the average ticket that we want to be at. So what do we need to do? Where do we need to dig in and find small improvements that will help, you know, kind of weather the storm? Um, but I think the most important thing, at least from my perspective, is that you just have to put an emphasis on growth. Um, regardless of what happens, um, if you're not growing, you're dying. Um, and you'll die really fast in a recession. Um, as opposed to, you know, continuing to move forward and continuing to pay attention to those little things in your business that, you know, aren't great right now or could be better. Um, to me, that's, that's kind of our outlook and, and perspective on things. But to that, to that point, there's going to be competitors that get scared. There's going to be competitors who tend to retract, and that's when you push the, the throttle full forward and double down on your marketing and go take some more business. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Took my water last year, taking my answers this year. Uh, okay, so let's just assume the, that, this is, that this is a thing, right? So I agree with you on that. I think it's a mindset game still. Um, but let's assume it is coming. What's, what's your first move? <clears throat> well, listen, I think that everybody should be operating their business, even through, let's say through uh, you know, 2020, 2021, 2022 very robust years, we operated as if we were in a recession at all times. We high, you know, focus on our costs, focus on efficiency, focus on every uh, innovation that we possibly can to drive every bit of cost out of your business. And you should be playing that game, whether it's a big fat market or a recession market. So now we're going into, if, if we are going into something, we're ready and prepared we don't have to make big changes. It's very difficult to turn a ship around uh, on a moment's notice. So you gotta make sure you're playing the efficiency game day one, make sure that you're priced right. I can't tell you how many contractors that, we, that come and seek me out to talk to me about their business. And the first question I ask is, how are you pricing your service? Which is gonna be a very important component to a down economy. You're really gonna rely on your service base. But is your service base one, price correctly, and are you driving the right proper behavior with your service business to hit the, the efficiency and productivity me metrics that, that your pricing formula demands, to, contemplates to get to your budgeted net profit? 
So that's a really important game, of which we all should have been playing in the fat times too. I'd agree. I'd say you need to run your business all the time, maybe not thinking of the recession, but you have to be efficient. You said this yesterday on the podcast, I couldn't agree more. If you are watching your costs, you're constantly, you know, you're constantly keeping an eye on spends, what your pricing models are doing. Uh, we have um, companies like Ken in different markets, so uh, you know, we're constantly keeping an eye on that, but you have to be efficient running the business. You know, be data-driven, be metrics-driven. Uh, you know, my belief is exactly the same as Ken's. Like we, we're always thinking about how can we capitalize on what's going on in a market. And I think we talked yesterday a little bit about, we came into this year, you know, we said we don't really, we didn't think there was gonna be a recession. I added money to a, to a budget saying, if I need to use that marketing, I want to have it. I wanna have enough dry powder to go get it if we, I should need it. But not because I think the business will be down, but because typically private owned businesses, the first thing they do is retract. And then we, we, we mash the gas to try to grab share in those times. I was with Horizon Services back in 08, 09, and they did it then. They used that exact phrase. Uh, Mark Aiken and Dave Geiger said, we, we aren't gonna participate in this. And we doubled down on our marketing. And so I, I think you have to be prepared at all times, but if you're running your businesses efficiently, it, it you know, uh, Chad said this, we're not scared of anything. We're cognizant of it, but you've gotta be You've gotta be on it all day, every day, no matter what's going on you know, with economy. Economy can be a headwind, but we view it as an opportunity. Yeah, and I, I think just following, well, one, we were talking earlier, Frank, I think the most important thing is, you know, it's been a challenge in Q1, but like really creating momentum for your team, right? Like, you're, you know, the biggest thing we should be doing, it's all mindset. The data says that we're not going to a recession, but if we do go there, tying back to your question is what would we do? So one thing I've learned over the years was um, every like percent counts, right? So like if you get 100 calls, what are you doing with those 100 calls, right? Are you capturing, you know, 30%, 40% into a booked lead? And just, I mean, every single call I think counts. And, and I've really looked, you know, before it's like, oh yeah, you know, maybe we, we didn't have the best CSR team. But really as I've gotten, you know, more mature, I'd say, into the role is like really tracking your marketing spend, you know, making sure you find good partners for marketing that can give you the results you're looking for. Um, and just try to, you know, with marketing, cost per lead. So am I getting more leads and is it costing me less money, right? So trying to fill that funnel and then what are you doing with those? So just following the data and just continue to build a pipeline around that. We met with, um, we actually met last week with some of our operators and we said, all right, let's run a few different scenarios because not all, like, you know, oh, we're not getting the, the no heats or the no coolings. And, and so we use that as a crutch to, you know, say why we're not doing good. But there's so much opportunity in, you know, tune-up inspections. Um, so there's things you can, you know, crutch on, I guess is my thought. is Follow data, every call counts, and, and make sure you're just trying to get a little better. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, just as they've said, it's, it's really just paying attention to the, to the drivers of the business. So... Um, I think while everyone in this room can agree, okay, yeah, we're not gonna be scared, we're not gonna be scared, well, what's the first excuse that you're gonna hear from your service manager, from your ops manager? If things aren't going well, it's, well, you know, it's a recession, no one's buying. I mean, we all heard it already. Um, and I'm like, all right, guys, let's cool the jets here. Um, and so it comes back to accountability and, you know, 
first leading leading that charge of hey guys we're gonna we're gonna be okay um, but at the same time how often are you reviewing the metrics so you know when we first started it was a dry erase board and we'd have a green and a red marker and every service manager would have to go up to the board every morning at uh, 8 15 and they would write what they did yesterday how many calls they converted all of this and if they hit their goal then they could write it in green um, and if they didn't they'd have to write it in red um, now we've got fancy boards and it looks really cool and all of that stuff but just a simple exercise like that it takes 15 minutes to do each morning but how powerful would that be how much you know motivation could you provide your team if you're reviewing your numbers every single day and it's just win the day. Just win this Wednesday. How do we do that? Let's just focus on that. Let's not focus on how do we beat a recession. Let's just win one day at a time. And through that, we'll ultimately beat out a recession or you know, whatever it may be that we don't know. Um, how do we win today? SmartAC.com, SmartAC.com. If you haven't heard of it, you better find out. If you haven't implemented it, you better check it out. You have to get started doing something. 2024 is going to be an absolute battlefield. What are you doing differently than your competitors? You need to make sure that your memberships are sticky. SmartAC.com does that. Lifetime warranty, insurance savings, filter discounts, 24-7 monitoring that lets you know about problems before the homeowner might even know about the problem. Live tech chat, service providers, all of this with smartac.com. You've got to check it out now. By the way, let me, let me just say this. Chad said it early on. There's so much in all of our businesses here, there's so much fat and waste. You know, we're, we're talking about a, a potential recession when, you know, we need to look inward and look at the fat and waste in our own organizations. I mean, there's not one, I, I guarantee, Nobody in this room has one perfect metric out of the you know, six to 10 that you're really focused on in your business. And so you know, I would challenge you to start really looking at that and paying attention to that detail every day. I can't tell you how many guys I've met over the years who was almost ready to close their doors in their business and their only move was they sat in their contact center for a year and listened to what went on and started to direct traffic and started to fix some things and tighten up the business just by sitting in the contact center. Same thing applies to all the other metrics. Okay, so I will say this. It's not always marketing's fault. <laughs> I would need to say it's that. It's always marketing's fault. <laughs> I mean, they, they say, all my guys say to me, we don't have the leads, we don't have any leads. I'm like, what, what about these six metrics? Case There's uh, $100,000 right there. Yeah. Well, the volume that you're but looking for. But it's still for your... always marketing. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> of course it is. I've heard that for years. Obviously, it's been 15 years of me doing digital marketing for HVAC companies specifically. So I can just about guess um, which months all the call volumes are going to go up for us. But I hear, for those who don't know, um, we have about 800 customers across the US, Canada, Australia, uh, all home services companies, and we listen to every single phone call for every customer. So I hear all the mess that your guys' companies are on the CSR side, and we ignore it so frequently. Or you do something about it short term, and then you let it ride again, you do something about it short term, and then let it ride, and you see call volume or booking rates increase, decrease, increase, decrease. Why? 
Like there's a lot of really good organizations that could do this coaching. Like so, it's sometimes just looking internal is the answer because you got to get you know you have to start run, run a little bit more lean uh, in those moments. But um, so do you guys add like it, so again assuming assuming there's something coming or market correction or whatever you want to call it. Do you just sit tight on the services that you're offering currently? Do you add any new services? Do you modify anything to to you know, make it more appealing or better or whatever, like what's, what's, the, what's the play? Certainly we don't add new services, right? Yeah, no, I, I think thinking from my seat is, um, I think the important thing is to focus on what you already have, right? Like what are you operating with what you already have instead of looking at, because if you add a service or a branch location, that, that costs you equity or costs you money, it costs capital to do that. And so really just taking a look at first, what are you doing with what you already have? Um, I think when me and Ken sat <clears throat> on that podcast a year ago, you know, um, I think, you, you know, you, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but usually it's like, what are you doing with what you already have? Why get into plumbing if you're not a successful HVAC company? Like, just focus on that. Um, but to tie back to your question is, um, so that's what we're doing is capitalizing a little bit. So trying to grow our market share, right? So in our current market, if we're trying to drive 100 leads, well, that's what we're going to do in that market. But if you can add, you know, we went to a new market called New Lennox. <clears throat> Sorry about that. And you know, new customers, like look at your new customer acquisition. Um, so that's something we've done, is gone into new, we've expanded our current market and gone into a new market to help drive new customers. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I wouldn't, wouldn't add anything um, right off the bat. Um, there's probably, you know, as they said, there's probably a lot of fat on whatever it is that you do now. Um, one of the things that uh, I would caution you to is that while they're all grouped together as trades, um, they're all completely different. Um, the people are different. The, the, it's, it's a completely different thing. Uh, we learned that the hard way when we added plumbing and thought that it would be just like HVAC, and then we had to tear it down three different times uh, down to the ground uh, before we built it back up. And so um, I, I just think, and you know, not to belabor a point, but you know, what, what is it that you can get better at with, with what you're doing now? Um, you know, can we convert at a higher rate? Um, you know, looking at one of the things we've looked at on from an HVAC install side is how do we build value and increase average ticket? So right now we only really offer like three SKUs of product on the install side. So you look at a gas furnace and an AC, we offer three SKUs, but we offer six options. Well, those six options are just dressed up with all of the things um, that build value, whether that's a humidifier, UV light, uh, duct sanitation, all of these things um, that build value. So can you take what you already do, look at all the other offerings, and start to dress that up? Um, to me, that's been a, a huge kind of uptick in average ticket. And if you can get more money out of each home, well, then that's going to help you continue to grow. Um, and there's a lot of opportunity. You look at plumbing and water quality and um, different solutions there that you can still do more you can still offer more solutions with the same exact people that you have. You don't have to go find some new trade to offer into the home. 
Um, and I think that that's been really powerful for us um, in, in our growth is, again, just focusing on how much can we drive in, in each home um, by offering more solutions to the customer. By the way, here, here's somehow a way that I've reconciled this whole thing in my mind, and maybe it's easy for you guys to think about. We're not in the air conditioning business. We lead, manage, and sell skilled labor. That's what we do. So think about that and all the aspects of that, AKA herding cats. But, you know, what are all the elements to lead, manage, and sell skilled labor? And if you stay focused on that, you know, obviously there's materials that go with every job type, but if you really focus on that, that is where all the costs and the inefficiencies and the um, unrealized opportunities come from, right, is the mismanage of the skilled labor. So I think really that's where you zero in on the business and, and make sure that you clearly understand that every guy has to be making a profit or gross profit contribution every single day and then you try to maximize those contributions and build the team such that the collective group can cover the overhead and the profit motive of the month, quarter and year. But, you know, talking about adding different services, this and that, there is just so much opportunity inside the, the basic uh, standard uh, HVAC shop because they're not lead managing and selling the skilled labor properly I don't think there's a lot to worry about trying to add another service. I will say, though, that I believe that every HVAC, certainly a home service company, should, the HVAC guys should own the water heaters. I think that should happen. So, I mean, that would be an easy transition. And another way to sell more skilled labor that doesn't require retooling, real rethinking, and retraining a big skill. I, I think the only, yeah, I mean, no different than anybody here. We aren't going to add any services. Uh, we're we're going to focus on attachment rates. When you're just selling an HVAC system for us, it's going to be ductwork, insulation, et cetera. I would tell you the one thing, and I'm sure these guys all do it, I'm quite sure because we talked about it earlier, is we, get, uh, we have an extensive amount of training on financing. And when I say extensive, you have to be good with numbers and roll it off quickly when you're in the home. Um, we finance 50% of our installs, and so we have some really great finance partners. But you know, and and, and we can think we can do no, we can do more with that. I just say that you know, no matter what size your business is, that's something really good to have as a tool. I don't think you know, if you just look, our metrics are average ticket goes up with those who finance more um, because people are looking at payments, and we're a payment-driven society. I mean, those, that's, just, that's just the fact. They're, people can't all stroke a thirty, forty, $50,000 check, whatever you're selling them. So in order to add those ancillary products or attach things to it, we get really good at financing um, because it's a necessity and there's, some just, there's great programs. It's in the home now, financing is regular. You see it with windows, roofing, HVAC, plumbing. So I think that's the only other thing I'd add is just you know, make sure you have a focus on it, and not just have it as something that's there. Hey, maybe I, maybe I can get this finance. Excuse me. I think it's is for financing and offering going in because for us, we watch the, we track average ticket against how much is finance and specifically who's doing what, and and those are there's a correlation there with uh, average ticket going up with how much the person's financed. 
uh, the individual I can't salesman. I imagine now, you know, I talked to a lot of contractors who don't even use financing. In the home service business, it's just absolutely essential yeah. to lead with financing. It's not $18,000 for the, you know, 20-seer system. It's $287 a month, and that's how you lead the business. Yeah. But, you know, we're, at, we're over 80% financed. Yeah, we're over 80 as well. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, we've even got to the point, and I um, don't want to belabor the point, but I think what Frank said is, is so critical. Um, find somebody uh, that is really good at financing and understands it really well and can teach it um, to all of your technicians, all of your, even CSRs. I mean, we've gotten to the point now where we have a special group uh, in our call center that when a lead comes in that is for a new system um, and we're moving it to other things, when a lead comes in for a new system, we have specialized CSRs that are good with financing that are getting people pre-approved before we ever go out to their home. Um, it's getting them in the mindset and it's just always talking about payments. We don't present any solution as a, this is your full dollar amount. It's always, it's 100 bucks a month. It's 120 bucks a month, it's $75 a month. Whatever it is, it's just ingraining that in the culture of your company and teaching it. Because I'll tell you, when we first started, I didn't understand the, like, zero payments, this and that, and what's a payment factor, and all of these things. Like, really dive in and understand that so that you can explain it to your customers. Because it is, yeah, I mean, to, I think, uh, through the first quarter, we were on new installs. It was 83% of our jobs were financed, mainly because we're just leading with that. That's the only option. And don't think you're going to scare off the guy who wants to pay with a check. You know, that guy will tell you that he's going to pay with a check, and that's perfectly fine. You'll take that too. Um, but you're not offending anybody. And there's some there's some great word tracks that you can use to not offend people. It's hey, most of our customers use our low monthly payment options. How would you like to pay for this? Super simple. You're not offending anybody. You're not assuming that they need financing or they can't afford anything. You're just telling them how most of your customers pay. That's all. But the financing is, that's a, that's a great point for and sure. Think about what he just said. They get the customers pre-approved before they run the sales call. Don't you think, what's the, the, the closing average on that call where they're pre-approved? Probably, <laughs> probably right up there with three numbers, right? Yeah. By the way, it's so interesting to me. I started you know, coming to ACA in the 80s and you know, struggling with my business and, and uh, you know, I joined this community and there was guys that reached out and helped me helped me kind of get out of my funk and understand the business. But when I started, it was Manual J and Manual D, and I'm looking at all the technical stuff. Think about all the things as we sit up here and talk about it, and what Chad just said, that we really have to know to run this business, and has really little to do with Manual J and Manual D. There's a whole, uh, there's a whole other uh, uh, plethora of information that you have to really understand to lead one of these businesses. I'm going to just piggyback on what you guys are talking about. The, the financing piece, if you don't have, if you're not utilizing it right now, even on the website, like this is the easiest, this is the low-hanging fruit. Anytime someone calls in for, I need more leads, the, the 
first thing we go to in spring and fall is these low, as low as monthly numbers for financing. It's hook, line, and sinker. It works. It's worked for 15 straight years. It's not not going to work. The psychology of the of the homeowner is not changing, like on how they choose their company. Nobody wants to call you in the first place, right? So, and they just certainly don't want to stroke a big check for it if they if they can finance it too. I'm saying the majority. That's what we're seeing. But even before you talk to them, you can get them pre-approved before they even reach out to you. So just by putting in the different financing offers, it works every single time. So you just got to make sure you put that right number on there because the downside is if you have a marketing company and they think they're being slick by putting a low monthly number on there, the odds of them actually getting approved is probably pretty short. So you just sent someone there, they couldn't get approved anyway, so you just wasted your money. I've seen this happen time and time again. So putting the $49 a month thing is not going to pan out like you think it is. The lead volume is going to look real good, but the close ratio is going to be absolute garbage. So I will give you a little nugget because I've tested this number over and over for a lot of years. Do not go any lower than $79 a month. All right, if you're going to put a monthly number as low as, obviously there's many variables that come to this, but once you drop below that, that's when we start seeing the close ratio significantly dip. I don't know what it is. That's just the number. I tested everyone from 65 to 72 to like over all these years. That one seems to be the, most, the sweet spot where it seems like it's the nicest, got the nicest close ratio, but still uh, lots of conversions. So just something we've tested for a lot of years to, to think about. Obviously do what's best for your business, just telling you what's, uh, what's, what's available to you. But if you have, you know, and there's lots of financing options right now. But if you have the link where you can get them pre-approved before they even have to call you, please put that on the site. It doesn't cost you anything extra to do it anyway. So just get it on there so that way they get that done and then they call you and you have a pre-approved amount. So that's my soapbox for a minute on, on that piece. Um, I will ask you guys, do any of you guys do any of you guys do leasing? Lease anything? Is it even like a consideration or is this something that, that you 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 could bring on if this goes into that space? We don't do any. We you know I've some really good operators that are regional vice presidents, they came from a platform that did a lot of that. We, we just don't believe in it. We think we can get there with the leasing options or with the uh, financing options, rather. Um, so it's not, it's not something I can see in the foreseeable future for us. Mm -hmm. um, I just want to add one thing on financing is keep, keep an eye on which plans you're going to offer. Yes. <laughs> uh, sorry, if I could give you a tidbit. Um, Leland Smith, who founded Service Champions in 2000, um, he's our chairman today, he, um, he, he would say, Frank, you can't, and this is all the owners, but you, if you just offer them everything, they'll go to 60 or 72 months, 0% to the customer. It costs you, you know, give or take 14, 15, 18 points. Limit, limit what your staff can see uh, or what their options are. So just. We're pushing financing, but there is a, you got to put some rails on it because next thing you know, you're like, yeah, I'm financing more, but I didn't factor in, you know, paying this cost. So, uh, sorry, I just want to make sure I, I made that point. We have six plans. They're different in our locations, whether it's Cincinnati or Texas, uh, you know, or California. They're just different. But watch what those costs are. Get, you know, work with your finance companies. That's just something I wanted to add because if you go back and just offer financing, it can get those costs can get away from you in a hurry. But um, yeah. sorry, I want to make sure I got that one out there. Yeah, sorry if there's any distributors in the room, but don't listen to your distributor when they tell you I've got a special deal for you on zero percent for 72 months. There is no deal in that entire offering. Don't be afraid to offer your customers 
plans with interest. Like, think about it. If I'm a payment buyer, I've probably got other payments in my life, namely a credit card, that I'm paying 30% interest. So when you offer them 10% interest, that's a hell of a deal. Do not offer what your distributor says that they got you a deal on. There is no deal involved in any of that. How do you really feel? I feel that way. <laughs> and I'll tell got you. a little more passion about that answer. Well, I mean, it, 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 so I'll, it's a real life example. We used to do that. We used to fall, fall for that. We dropped our financing as a percentage of HVAC install revenue. When we offered those plans, our financing cost was about 8% sales. Today, we don't offer anything without interest over 12 months. We don't use anything that charges us. I mean, there's a couple plans that charge like a fractional, uh, like dealer fee. Our percentage of HVAC install sales is 1.27% of sales. So if you want to pick up seven points, don't offer those plans, <laughs> ever. I know we got off the leasing question, but I, I, I mean, everybody, everybody wants to hear, you, you got to tell them, sorry, right, you, yeah. you got to tell them, like, like, look, we've all, we, we say all of our experiences, you know, I've gotten to know Chad over the last couple of years, amazing business, what he's grown, Ken's done it for years with Leland and Dave Geiger, I've been three generations doing it, and it's expensive at the front of the pack. Like when you try to get at the front of the pack, it's expensive. So we're, the goal here is right to figure out how to be smarter at your business. And so we've all stubbed our toe, you know, numerous times on these things. So uh, sorry that we got off your topic. Sorry, Ken, you're going to say something too. Are you really well, sorry? The, lease, the leasing programs. Here. <laughs> the leasing programs I've looked at are no different really than the financing programs we use today, except the finance companies, you know gonna monetize that end of it a little better and there's really no benefit to us that, that I see. Um, I, know that, uh, I know that there's a, a scaled business, uh, you know, close to a billion dollars in sales in our industry that went out and got their own $250 million line and they executed the leasing model themselves and they're having a lot of look, luck at it, so they say. Uh, but that's a whole nother business, man. That's a whole nother layer of complexity that you add to your business. You're, add, you're adding a financial model and on top of the, you know, skilled labor model and... Revenue recognition and how does it all work? Yeah, you know, it's, it's a difficult strategy. So right now, these, when these, these finance guys are coming to you and say, why don't you lease it? The only one benefiting in that equation, as far as I'm concerned, is them. That's how I see it. So are, are you going to leverage any new technology? Like, because there's obviously so much tech that's happening coming into our space. Um, is this is, like, what, what are the things that you guys are seeing or even considering? I know we had some of these conversations and you guys had some good stuff, but we can use technology to help make our businesses more efficient too, right? And make us run better businesses and become more profitable. What are you guys looking at in regards to new technology? I guess, um, <clears throat> Something I've been really focused on over the last few months is um, right now I'm studying call center. So that's maybe earlier I was giving some context on call center. Um, but just looking, there's a lot of automation software that can tool on top of your CRM. Um, so, you know, really looking at every opportunity as a sales funnel. So starting to look at, you know, I'll just pick on cancel calls. So as odd as that might sound, we look at cancel calls and try to rebound those. But put them into an automated sales funnel. 
And so you can do this for unbooked calls, cancel calls, so proposal follow-up. You can put all these different lead sources into a funnel, and then you can create drip campaigns. And so it might be, you know, customer calls, you don't book the call. The CSR doesn't book the call. We'll create an automated process where, you know, the customer might get a text message from our, just create an automated text message process where, hey, hey, Mrs. Jones, um, just want to make sure that uh, the CSR gave you all the information. Um, and then automate it where, you know, maybe, uh, you know, half an hour later they get a voice drop, a voicemail drop to their inbox. And so really looking to create this automated process because we have an inside sales team who's doing all this manually. Well, that costs a lot of labor. We're looking at how can we give them the tools, no different than we give technicians, drills, hole saws, but give our inside sales team or other you know, areas of our business the same tools we give technicians, and how can I maximize all these opportunities? So we're creating like different sales funnels for all different types of leads, lead sources, as I like to call them. So that's how we're looking to leverage it. Anybody else? Well, I'm, I'm on a crusade to change the club membership model, the service agreement model. You know, once you get up to a certain scale, a certain number of club memberships that you need to manage, you know, it, you kind of hit a wall. You know, you, got, you have to have a large group of technicians that don't really bring in enough revenue to support themselves to manage those clubs and really do the service for your customer and, you know, achieve the goal that that you set out to have by having club membership customers, which is a captive customer base, but that to service with the old model, the current model, I would say, is very difficult at scale. So now we've, we're delving into the use, use of technology. We're partnered with SmartAC to start deploy a smart maintenance model where we're predicting, we're using the technology to predict when to run a, a maintenance call as opposed to you know twice a year in the, in the different intervals, and start to track you know what are the most greatest opportunities for maintenance calls based on the data, and really transform the model more into a um, just-in-time maintenance, uh, and starting to collect data on people's systems to have more intelligent conversations about repair versus replace things like that. So I think really the new, newest technology and where I think I would uh, encourage everybody to start digging into over and above learning how to manage, sell, manage um, skilled labor is drilling down in this club membership base, really building a great base as kind of the mode around your business, but doing it in a more thoughtful manner where the use of technology is cutting the cost and making you more efficient to deliver the service to the customer. Yeah, we, um, the, I thought that was interesting. I stopped to see uh, SmartAC. We don't use it, but we've heard about the a little more predictive. I've seen it uh, before a couple years ago. It wasn't as good. It wasn't their product, but another product that was just, there was, it's a lot to install, the cost, et cetera. This one seems very efficient. Um, we, we will likely pilot that just because, to your point, you know, we, we have a lot of monthly paying service agreements. Um, you know where our business is based, although only half of it now is in California, you have to be able to do maintenance really well. There's no weather. It's gorgeous all the time except for this rain we've had. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I think it's a good point. You get to a certain level um, and it, it gets trickier to manage and then who can you get to and who can you serve, but I think that's certainly one for us. The other one is that we just are starting to look at is 
um, as technical and as, as many of us train internally, I know Chad's built a school, Leland Smith's built technicians for almost 17 years now. We've taken that to our different companies. When you lose control of what goes on once they leave your building in a training, and so trying to put yourself in the home with them, we feel like that's somewhere where we're gonna end up more. And there's a couple companies in the country doing it. They record everything in the home. That gets tricky. There's, California's really tricky, but if you can be there and you can have one service manager and you know, if w I've looked at all the versions from literally a body cam to headset cams, you have a service manager watching what six guys are doing while they're recording the tune up. It, it feels like a game changer, but you still have to have people there talking to the customer, et cetera. Uh, but there's a couple big guys that do the record, they use that technology and, and can help somebody through a call versus you know challenges on a call, et cetera. But that, that for us, there's, there's a lot of red tape in those. Um, but I feel like the predictive is big. And then two for us is how can we, you know, as your business scales, um, O'Brien's going through this, Chad's going through it, and, and they're all hopefully, you know, everybody's trying to learn. Um, you know, I, I've been lucky. I've been with two individual businesses, you know, individual contractors that went from 40 million to over 100 million in a very short stretch of time. When you do that, you realize that the quality of the people has to stay identical. Back to Ken's point, it's like managing that piece. So the technology is gonna be critical. Take a hundred plus million dollar business, and we have two of them, and try to get them to 200. Um, you know, you're gonna lose control of stuff when the guys walk out of the building. So we try to control as much of that as we can. Uh, but we don't, we don't use that technology today, but we're looking into you know, what that looks like down the road for monitoring, et cetera. By the way, in Southern California, where you don't have the weather, or any markets where you really don't have the weather to support the business, maybe you don't want to do predictive maintenance, yeah. right? Because you, you really well, have, you have it, to get to those houses yeah. and you have nothing to do. It, it's, it's a good point for us that, and it, again, it's different all over the country. And we, we're, I grew up in the East, so we waited on weather, if you will, which was not a good model. <laughs> um, I know some of those guys still in there struggling with waiting on the weather. And Leland Smith, when I, I had known him for about 10 years, went to work for him, and he said, Frank, you gotta get out of your head that we're a service business. We, we do service, we're a maintenance business. I don't have any weather here for you, excuse me, for you to just run demand calls. So we have to do the best tune-up ever that's, you can, and show value to the customer. Um, what we found is you can actually do that tune-up in different parts of the country, not just because we taught it to them, there were companies that decided to do it, and you're exactly right. For us, it's a 12-month-a-year run. There's 20, now 27,000 agreements just in the location in Brea. <clears throat> you have to run those calls every month. So it, it really good point, Ken. And you know, in the West, in those parts, you don't have springs and falls. It's just you're running them year-round, and you have to for the opportunity. But um, and, and to that point, let me say this. <clears throat> I learned a long time ago that demand calls are they, the pool keeps shrinking, shrinking, shrinking. You know, we're replacing you know the replacement business is way up, so you don't have as many demand calls. Home warranty gets a big piece of our business now. Uh, you know, and then the typical handyman and side jobs and all this, you know, the pool of demand calls continues to shrink every year. And so what I always tell my people, you know, just look at a demand call as a gift from above, because uh, there are few and far between. We have to be really good at maintenance to modernization. 
we are a maintenance to modernization company. We perform maintenance, and when the, when the uh, system and the cu customer is ready, we'll modernize their, <coughs> their mechanical systems. That's the business we're in. We're not dependent on a demand, on demand business anymore. Yeah, I think from a technology perspective, I mean, agree with, with everything that they said. Um, you know, I, I would maybe just uh, uh, touch on a few of the easy ones. So, um, like uh, text messaging. I know that's not like technology per se, I guess. I don't know, maybe it is. Um, you know, how do your customers want to be communicated with? Um, you know, how, how many times have you called that customer and never got an answer? Um, you know, we have CSRs in our business that they don't pick up a phone. They just are on the computer texting with customers. Um, you know, if you go on our website, you can book an appointment for whatever you want in about three to four clicks because that's how customers want to do it. We go to schedule maintenance. Um, we send out a unique link to every customer and they can book their appointment within about three clicks. The understand how your customers want to communicate. I know I don't pick up a phone call if I don't know the number. I'm sure a lot of you are probably the same. Um, so why is your customer going to pick up the phone uh, from a number that they probably don't recognize? So that's, a, that's super simple, but it, it's effective. Um, when you're when you're talking about getting a hold of customers, um, you know, to to their point, I think that the monitoring is is something that uh, you know as you scale, it becomes more um, more important. Um, but I don't think that you're ever too small to start thinking about it. It's not going to hurt to have a, a set of data on that customer's system. Um, and again, a lot of these are able to tell you when a system you know, may fail or is looking like there may be an issue, um, how much more value can you provide your customer if you can sort of predict before it goes out on the hottest day of the year and then you've got more customers and you've got technicians and you've got people yelling at you and all of this, if you can predict um, a potential failure in a off month, um, you know, how much more value do you provide to your customer if you're able to give them that type of service as opposed to just being, hopefully being there and having enough technicians on the hottest day of the year? I, I clearly see a day with, with the new technology like Smart AC, I clearly see the day when someone can figure out how to walk into any market, quickly grab three to 5,000 club memberships with some organization, the utility, uh, insurance company, or some way grab a, a universe of club memberships, deploy the technology, and be able to poof a $10 million HVAC branch in one year. I see that day coming soon. You good? Okay. So I think I got about eight minutes to go, seven minutes to go. So I do want to, if we have a mic, Sarah, that we can walk around. Does anybody want to ask a, a question? And then, guys, <coughs> if we can try and squeeze in two, that'd be great. So we got... About seven minutes. So anybody want to ask the panel a question? Don't be afraid. Everybody always is afraid to ask questions. I promise you somebody else is thinking the same thing. We got a hand up? My question is, I heard you mention pre-qualify. All right? A customer before you even go. 
What is your procedure on that? What questions do you ask on the phone to see if you can pre-qualify? That's a great question. Uh, I'm not really sure, but <laughs> what I do know uh, is the financing partner that we work with, we work with Goodleap. Um, they do a great job, have done a great job for us. Um, it's a very easy form. So it is literally, I think, name, uh, social, I don't even know, you don't have to put, the key is you don't have to put the amount of the job in. You just, it just, uh, they probably have to put their income, I would yeah, assume. Yeah, but Chad, that's, sorry, that's part of your portal, right? Your, your CSR isn't, is your CSR taking that? Because ours is, the customer can go and fill it out, it bounces them yeah, out so to. Yeah, so our CSR will actually fill it out it. for them um, on there, I believe. Um, and then they can get them pre-approved. But the key is, like with, I think it was, there was a provider we used where you had to put the job total in. Whereas right now, even pre-qualified, we'll do it on the phone. But when our uh, comfort advisors are going in, that's one of the first things that they're doing is let's get you pre-qualified and that way you know what range you can look at systems in. Um, so it's, it's a very little amount of information and when you're interviewing financing partners, that's what I would look for is what's the least amount of information? I don't yeah. need someone to fill out a 14 page right. form. It won't, uh, do it. it won't do it. Yeah, for sure. So it's very simple is the key. Yeah, and I think that ties to the technology. You know, like there's a lot, like Goodleap has a great um, portal for both the technicians and the consumer. Um, so it's really easy, you know, it's no longer rocket science on what is my payment, what's my payment rate. It's, you know, Goodleap has a really good technology piece as well. These, these finance companies that we deal with in the home service business are not really finance companies. They don't really hold the money. They're, they're called FinTechs. So they're financial technology businesses that provide the portal for you to sell financing and, and the money comes from somewhere else. So it's already set up for you. Most of the companies, most of the larger businesses or, or notable <clears throat> businesses in that space have the technology for you to use and fill out and, and for you to follow the law. You know, and you gotta be careful. If you, run, if you are running somebody's credit, I guess there's two types, there's kind of a soft, Soft check. What do you call it? Soft pull. Soft, soft pull, yeah. where you don't have doesn't require a signature, but if it's a full credit report, make sure that you have the cu customer docu sign that um, that they authorize you to pull their credit or the fintech company to pull their credit. Very important detail. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The soft pull is is huge. So that's how we do it. It's a soft pull, and it doesn't. It doesn't ever show up on their credit score until they actually accept yep. the loan that they're taking. But that's so. a very important thing that you guys need to listen to what he's doing here is that I'm imagining, correct me if I'm wrong, they can look at their entire day schedule or week schedule and see who's already pre-approved for financing on sales calls, already pre-approved. And yet you have to assume everybody else is not approved, right? So figure out where to spend your time and, and uh, manage your skilled labor appropriately. I'm gonna try to get to one more question, so thanks guys. Got one more question? We got time for one more, perfect. Uh, a couple of you look like you might be old enough to remember, but what would happen if like in 1980, the prime rate went to 20% of you can remember, if it, say between now and the end of the year or sometime next year, it goes to double digits 
you know, let's talk about a real economy that you got to deal on. What would you do different to deal with those higher interest rates? Because the whole economy changes. I look old enough to be remember 1980, <laughs> but I'm not. But that's you know, you know, growing up doing this industry, I guess. Um, I, I had a mullet <laughs> in '80. I, I clearly don't have that luxury. So, uh, you know, it's a really good question. I, I don't think we've really thought about. It. I think it's challenging. You know, for us, there's there would be two components. Um, one is, you know, as a private equity firm owns our business, and they don't write a check for that entire business, so we have, we have to manage our own you know, loans ourselves. And so that would, be, you know, that would be one challenge for us because we're already paying more in interest on those loans. Fortunately, we, we can do it, and the business generates lots of cash, but that would be a factor. Two is, um, you know, look, we, I, I think with financing, you know, we've been hitting on it a couple of times. Like, you've gotta figure out something when people are desperate you know, to do it, I think there's, there's a number of financial engines or areas that people can go to, but I, I, you have to work and see what you can still do with financing because people just will hold on to their cash, is my guess, or they're gonna try to invest to see what the return is. Um, I hope we don't have to have that challenge, um, but it's, you know, it's hard to think through if I would do something differently other than stick with my blocking and tackling, see what you know, see what that headwind turns into and what the consumer's saying. Um, and I would say for us, we're, you know, we certainly, um, w while there's private and you know, private equity owned groups here and private businesses, we lean on what they've seen with their history and the hundreds of companies, uh, you know, their knowledge of that. But I, I can't say today I would know how to answer that other than I would keep doing the same things you know, I w I've been doing that have made us successful and then have to adjust based on what that headwind gives us and, and you know, continue to employ our management team and our, our partners to say, what else can we do? Um, again, I, I hope that one is not something we have to tackle, uh, but apparently it's still gonna be creeping up there uh, and we're dealing with a little bit of it right now. So I know that's probably not entirely answering the question, but that's, I hope it's one we don't have to answer quite honestly. But, but if, you're, if your sales conversions on your large tickets, your replacement sales uh, drop, you know, you have to rely on your service business. And back in the 80s, we relied on the service business much more than we did the replacement business. And I, and I believe that we all kind of get, when we really got good at this, this uh, converting to a replacement business, it became an overused strength. You know, sometimes you see these businesses that are running 90% of their revenue coming from the replacement business. Man, that's a hard business to run. It's hand-to-hand it's -hand combat every single day, hunt and kill on every single opportunity. It's a hard business to keep together. Uh, you know, but back in the 80s, it was, you know, 10% replacement, 90% service. Maybe not that drastic, but it was certainly swaying the other way, and those businesses survived and thrived very well. I, so it's kind of my overarching message even today is start digging into your service business, become very efficient and uh, very productive with your service business, make sure you're priced right and be able to weather the storms that way, such as a 20% interest, as he suggests. Um, and then maybe think about some alternatives to replacement because you're not gonna be able to get the higher tickets. How about a rebuilding the system? 
you know, update all the key components and give an extra warranty on it, something like that, which would give you a higher, you know, gross profit mandate contribution for a job that would be maybe the same or similar to a replacement sale of the day without the cost of the equipment. In 1980, I was one. I wasn't born yet. So it wasn't really a thing for me, but uh, great question. Thank you for asking it. Um, anyhow, how'd they do? How'd, how'd our panelists do? Be good? I, anytime I'm giving a presentation or I'm always looking at the counter to make sure I stay on time because I think it's so respectful to stay on time, once Ken starts going, it's like, okay, here goes my time because I think we were at maybe one minute to go when you start talking. I was like, here we go. But it's always good stuff. I could say um, for those who tune into the podcast, thank you. Um, we have these conversations all the time on the To The Point Home Services podcast. And that's kind of what I've, I've loved to do all these years is to try and give back as much information as I can to help businesses like yours. That's been my life for 15 years. And I've met a lot of really smart guys who are very much so wanting to help you as well. So they're up here asking questions. A lot of times people don't answer, don't want to ask questions in front of everybody else because you want to get, you're going to get embarrassed. I completely get that. But all these guys, you can reach them and ask them questions as well. They'll, they will help you. I mean, this is, ACA was so helpful to you in the beginning, you know, getting the business off the ground or be, you know, just helping you. But take advantage of it. That's what they're here for. It's not a, don't, don't be vulnerable enough to ask the questions that you don't know. That's how you get through some of these difficult times. So, uh, ACA, I appreciate you guys having me back again. Panelists, thanks for joining me. And I appreciate all you guys showing up because about 15 minutes to go, I was like, this place is looking pretty bare. So appreciate you guys being here and hope that you enjoyed the panel. Listeners, thank you so much again for listening to this podcast week after week. We are extremely grateful. Again, the whole purpose of this podcast is to give back to the home services industry that we love so much, whether you're a rhino or not. We really, really appreciate all the subscribers. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please go in and subscribe and you'll get all the episodes sent to you automatically weekly. Also, we have really enjoyed your feedback. Uh, it's so meaningful for us when we get to read the nice comments that you guys put. So keep doing that. And if you don't know how to do it, Here's what you got to do. You search for To The Point Home Services on Apple Podcasts. You click on our profile, scroll all the way down to the bottom, and hit write a review. And be honest and share your story and how the podcast has impacted you and your business. Thanks again from the bottom of our hearts at To The Point Home Services Podcast. We appreciate you.